Welcome to the Faith at Work podcast. The message that I'm bringing you today, I intend for the most seasoned church-going Christian, the everyday believer, and for anyone who hasn't really given faith much thought. There may be some of you listening who have good reason for being skeptical of a stranger like me telling you what to believe and how you should live your life, but that's not my intention. We all face challenges in life and faith. We each have our own journey. We'll be relying on scripture and stories from the Bible for guidance and inspiration, but we'll always be looking for ways to apply those ancient writings to our lives today. So let's just dive right in, and then you decide if this is of value for you. One of the most meaningful things that I was privileged to do in my years as a pastor was to lead groups of people on pilgrimage to to the Holy Land. I intentionally say pilgrimage instead of tour because our journeys were faith-driven and fostered spiritual growth in all of us who walked in the footsteps of Jesus together. We had a lot of fun, too. In fact, our tour guide Johnny began each trip with the warning, What happens in the Holy Land stays in the Holy Land. Johnny, a Christian from Jerusalem, likes to visit Vegas. One of the many highlights of every visit was a descent into the dungeon below the house of the high priest Caiaphas, where Jesus was said to be imprisoned overnight after his trial, as he awaited judgment by the Roman governor Pilate the next morning, and then his eventual crucifixion. The dungeon is, to say the least, uninviting. Although a stone stairway has been added since ancient times, and dim lighting improves the space a bit, Once you're at the bottom of this claustrophobic stone-hewn cistern, it requires little imagination to relive the horror and hopelessness that Jesus and the other unfortunate prisoners who were thrown down there must have experienced. Another modern addition to the jail stands in the corner of the pit, a simple lectern which converts the dungeon into kind of a sacred chapel. The lectern bears a well-worn manuscript of Psalm 88, translated into many modern languages so that people from all corners of the world can share the words that almost certainly would have come to Jesus' mind as he shivered there in the dark. On our visits, we gather quietly, and one of us reads, O Lord God of my salvation, when at night I cry out in your presence, Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down into the pit. I am like those who have no help, like those forsaken among the dead, like the slain lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. The hours that Jesus spent in that darkness must have been the lowest of the low points of his days of suffering. Worse even, I suspect, than when earlier in the evening in the Garden of Gethsemane He'd become so distressed that he threw himself on the ground, 
broke out in a cold sweat and pleaded with God that he wouldn't have to face the suffering that he knew he was about to experience. The dungeon, the pit, isolated him from everyone, even from God. I think the reason that the visit to Caiaphas' dungeon is profoundly meaningful to modern-day pilgrims is not that it's so alien or unfamiliar, but the contrary. All of us, at one time or another, descend into our own pits of despair. We all, some of us more often than others, feel like we are, as Psalm 88 says, counted among those who go down to the pit. Those moments can come in times of personal loss and tragedy, but sometimes they come apparently without reason or warning, as we lay awake in the middle of the night. Now, we can expect to struggle when we face tragedy and loss. We witness the suffering of the families of the students who died in the mass shooting in Parkland, Florida, and of their classmates who survived. They were an entire community cast down into the pit. Over a year later, two of the victim's classmates, unable to deal with the darkness, took their own lives. For those two students, their past has robbed them of a future. They dwelt in a place where no light could penetrate. But some of our descents into the pit have no easy explanation. I've been open over the years about the fact that I have a long history of depression. There are times in the middle of the night, or sometimes on a sunny spring day, when I stumble and fall away into the darkness. One of the things that no longer surprises me after telling my story of depression over the years is the number of people who share that experience or have a family member who struggles with depression. So that's why I keep on sharing the story. It helps me to know that I'm not alone, and I assume that it helps others to know that they're not alone either. The pit is a lonely place. The darkness of the pit is unrelenting. Read the rest of Psalm 88, and you will discover that the psalmist finds no relief. The final verses read, O Lord, why do you cast me off? Why do you hide your face from me? Wretched and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I'm desperate. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dread assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. From all sides they close in on me. You've caused friend and neighbor to shun me. My companions are in darkness. There is no happy resolution for the psalmist. He seems permanently mired in the pit. Nor there is there a happy resolution to Jesus' visit to Caiaphas' house and prison. We're all too aware of how that story ended. He was hauled up from the pit, only to be tortured, humiliated, and subjected to an excruciating death on the cross. Not only did Jesus feel abandoned and alone in the pit, he continued to experience abandonment to the moment of his death, when he cried out as he died, 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You may reasonably question at this point why visiting the pit is the highlight of any trip, pilgrimage or not. Maybe next year I should lead a group to visit Vegas with Johnny. With all those lights, it's hard to find any darkness there, and there are so many people around who could be lonely. Well, the Apostle Paul, years after Jesus' death and resurrection, traveled around recruiting followers to this new religion that would become known as Christianity. How could he attract followers to such a downer of a story? What good is a crucified God? Who wants to follow a failed Messiah? It would seem that he would have a hard time competing with Roman religions like Epicureanism, which focused on seeking pleasure in life. Paul summed up the appeal for the Christian life beautifully in his letter to the Romans. He said, if we have been united with him, with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see, up until now, I've conveniently left out the best part of the story. Of course, you probably noticed that. Jesus was raised from the dead three days after he was placed in the tomb. The pit was not forever. The tomb was not forever. There was good, good news in his future. Well, here's an idea. Let's just make every Sunday Easter Sunday. Go one better. Let's celebrate Easter every day. Let's avoid all this depressing talk. Rip Psalm 88 out of the Bible. There are some happy psalms with music, singing, and dancing. With one stroke of the pen, I could cross Caiaphas' house off my next Holy Land itinerary. It's an idea, but a bad idea. You know why? Because the pit exists. Suffering exists. And let me tell you from experience, depression is all too real. And like it or not, death is in the future for all of us. It does no good to deny these realities. The next time you're in the pit, however, be assured that you are not alone. The next time you are depressed, remember that you are not alone in your despair either. You are simply a mortal human being. And as such, you have a God who has chosen to join you in your humanity, walk you through the most tragic moments of life, and hold your hand at the moment of your death. And should the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? pass your lips at that final moment. You will hear the same words that Jesus heard as he was taken into eternal life and light. I have not forsaken you. Come to me and live. I will lift you out of the pit. I will rescue you from the tomb. It is my belief that each of those children who died in Parkland, Florida on that dark day were not forsaken either that they have found eternal life. And oh, how I wish that those two young people 
who were driven to suicide in the aftermath, would have heard that assurance sooner. But they too have been lifted out of the darkness now. And so the next time I slip into depression, I will try, I will try my best to realize the pit pit is not where I will end up, nor is the tomb. I started with a Holy Land experience. Let me end with one. On our last day in Israel, we visit a small chapel on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Our little band of pilgrims walks down a flower-lined path to a small stone chapel just up from a sandy beach. Inside is a natural stone table upon which Jesus shared a meal of charcoal grilled fish that his disciples had just caught. But what was special about this particular shore lunch is that they ate it after that night he spent in Caiaphas' prison, after he died on the cross, and after he had been raised from the dead. In the days before his death, Jesus told his disciples, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who would give up their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Our final assurance is that death is not the end of life. It is the beginning of eternal life. It is real. It's just not the end. The pit is the womb from which we are born into new life. Some of our emergences are the small rebirths in which we make our way through tragedy and loss or when we recover from episodes of depression. Each of these little emergencies, each of these little resurrections from the dark pit, each little rebirth prepares us for our final rebirth into the light of eternal life. And so, I'm sorry, Johnny, but what happens in the Holy Land can't stay in the Holy Land. We've got to share it. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me for Faith at Work. Whether you are at work, at home, or somewhere in between, may your faith work for you. Please join me again.